Hey, it's Will Lockamy. You know me as the guy that makes really bad jokes along with my brother on the Paul Feinbaum show. Luckily, you're not listening to that. You're listening to the Stingray and Tuck show only on StingrayandTuckShow.com. And then there were four, as now both the Eastern and Western Conference final matchups have been set. We will talk with our NBA correspondent, Matthew Tynan, about the NBA. Plus, we will be dabbling in a little bit of college football as we talk about the Big 12 today. And then Landon and I are going to have a great big debate at the end of the show about the SEC. So sit back, relax, and enjoy as we get you guys ready for the NBA Eastern and Western Conference Finals. You're listening to the Stingray and Tuck Show. Good afternoon, everybody, and thank you for tuning in to another exciting edition of the Stingray and Tuck Show. I am your host, Stephen Ray, and I am glad to announce that my good friend and other co-host, Landon, is back with us this week. Landon, how you doing, man? I am well, Stephen. I hope you're doing well. I'm really glad to be back. We have some really awesome topics to talk about. The NBA playoffs have been great so far. Uh, I'm ready to get in and talk about the rest of them, Stephen. Yeah, absolutely. And plus, we're going to talk a little bit of college football. As you know, a few weeks ago, we talked about the SEC. Now we're going to talk uh, with our Big 12 correspondent about uh, the Big 12 and talk about teams like Texas, Oklahoma, TCU, Baylor, just to name a few, and try to get a, a feel for what the landscape is lo- it's looking like for 2016 out in Big 12 country. Absolutely, and that will be uh, really exciting. The Big 12 is a conference that uh, has, has, has had some teams uh, that have been on kind of the cusp of the national championship over the past few years. Uh, will this year be the year that one of them gets in, Stephen? I think it's very possible, but we will talk about that subject here in just a little bit. But first off... And the bad offseason continues for the SEC as now two prominent Alabama players early this morning were arrested down in Louisiana for possession of a legal substance and on weapons charges as well. Now, the two players, uh, one of them you might well know, all SEC offensive lineman Cam Robinson, and his is a little bit more serious now because his charges include possession of a controlled dangerous substance, but more importantly, illegal possession of a stolen firearm which is a felony in the state of Louisiana. Now, of course, the other guy is less known. His name is Lawrence Jones, and his charges are uh, possession of a controlled dangerous substance and illegal carrying of a weapon. Now, going back to Cam Robinson just for a second, as you will remember, he has been out all spring with an injury, and now this hit. So, I mean, his fate with the Alabama Crimson Tide now rest in the hands of Alabama coach Nick Saban and if he is kicked off the team or even suspended for the first game versus USC that could really affect their chances of getting back to a second straight national championship game and Landon is now going to fill us in on some more news that has happened since we talked last absolutely well the Golden State Warriors uh, have advanced to the Western Conference Finals over the Portland Trail Blazers. 
the Warriors were able to advance in five games. Steph Curry, <laughs> just unbelievable uh, in that series. Also, kind of a shocker to a lot of people, the Thunder, the Oklahoma City Thunder, have advanced to the Western Conference Finals to face the Warriors uh, over the Spurs in six games. Over in the East, the Cleveland Cavaliers swept, have swept, obviously, two teams in a row and are now set to face the Toronto Raptors. Uh, now, that is going to be an interesting series. We'll kind of get into our predictions of that in a little while. Um, but the finals and, and then these, these like semifinals are really more exciting than I feel like they've ever been. I completely agree. But, you know, everybody, all the prognosticators and all the fans and everything really wanted to see Dwayne Wade face off against LeBron James, and we got, you know, gypped on that one. Yeah, it just seemed like they, they ran, kind of ran out of gas. But, you know, again, we'll get, we'll get to that uh, a little bit later on. Uh, we will discuss Steph Curry winning back-to-back MVPs. Very impressive. We'll discuss our take on that and, uh, and more later on. All right, and also in other news, uh, yesterday the Titans of the NFL made uh, some pretty big headlines and shook up a little bit of their roster as they let former LSU quarterback Zach Mettenberger go. Now, they did pick up, let's remember, uh, Derrick Henry, but they did yesterday let Zach Mettenberger go. What are your thoughts about them losing the former LSU quarterback? Yeah, he'll probably get some work somewhere else, but he was he was just not effective, especially now that you have Mariota. He wasn't necessarily a solid backup. I think you really want more of a veteran guy rather than a young guy trying to prove himself. So, you know, it made sense. And, and also, in, in clearing Mettenberger, uh, they were able to sign four rookies uh, to a tryout. So, obviously, those are not, nothing to guarantee um, but now they're able to look at four more guys rather than just Menberger. But it's very surprising how few SEC quarterbacks are in the NFL. Right. And speaking of Derrick Henry, uh, the they had the rookies came up and had a kind of a mini camp there over this past weekend, and there was a report that came out that said uh, Derrick Henry's footwork was horrible at best. What are your thoughts about that? Yeah. You know, we'll, we'll kind of see how he goes. He's a very interesting case in the NFL. Uh, I said it on the show. I, I don't think he's going to translate to the NFL personally. But, uh, you know, we'll see. I, I hope well for him. Also having DeMarco Murray there. Between DeMarco Murray and Derrick Henry, there is a lot of miles on both of those pairs of legs. Uh, yes. With DeMarco Murray at Oklahoma and all, in his days in Dallas, uh, and Derrick Henry running the ball so much at the University of Alabama and the SEC. So uh, we're, we're going to see how that works out. I just have a feeling, though, I don't think he is going to be a superstar. But we will also uh, get in a little discussion about him later on. Yes, and there's also a report over the weekend of um, a, a somebody came out and said that uh, Alabama players are really overworked and exhausted from their time in Alabama when they make it to the NFL. Your thoughts about that? Well, all right, so here's the thing. is That, that kind of puzzles my – Puzzles my head a little bit because a lot of these guys, Stingray, I mean, whenever they come out of the come out of Alabama, what are they, like 22, 23 mm-hmm. years old? And they're not grumpy old men. I mean, they're young. They're still athletic and fast. I think where it shows up the most is those running backs. Uh, really, Trent Richardson is, is a guy that you can look at. Uh, T.J. Yeldon is not, <laughs> not necessarily being a superstar in uh, Jacksonville. You know, Mark Ingram has been a pretty quality back at uh, for, for the Saints. Eddie Lacy's had some good moments. Um, 
But then you look at guys like Mark Barron, uh, who, who's a guy who a lot of people thought was overworked, even coming out. So, you know, we are going to see uh, whenever, uh, whenever Derek kind of reaches that two- or three-year mark what he is going to become. Yes, and let me clarify, it wasn't just somebody – uh, random that said that it was actually Colin Cowherd, who has been known to poke fun at Alabama on numerous occasions before. And, you know, he said, and these are his words, Nick Saban abuses Alabama running backs. Yeah, I mean, and you know, what's, and obviously I think he's probably kind of just looking for, <laughs> for a ratings thing there. I don't really think he means that completely. Um, but I think. I mean, you could definitely make a case for that. I mean, the running backs are kind of his bread and butter. Um, but, you know, what's really good is whenever Alabama has, you know, more than more than two or more than one running back, they can kind of go back and forth. I think his point is they don't, they don't almost never have an elite quarterback, uh, like literally never. <laughs> what they do have is uh, they do have really good, uh, you know, talent at wide receiver and then also really good talent at running back. So, you know, Nick Saban just uses that. Uh, I, I think maybe if he had a better quarterback every year, uh, it would be different. But the fact is, Alabama can win national championships and not have a star quarterback. All right. Well, on that note, we are going to continue our college football discussion because, Landon, if you really think about it, college football is just around the corner, and uh, some of the big media predictors out there, ESPN, just to name a few, uh, came out with their college football sleeper playoff contenders yesterday. And I'm going to run the, run down a few of those for you. The ACC, they picked Louisville as a possible uh, sleeper team. The Big 12, TCU. The Big 10, Michigan State. The Pac-12, Utah. And the SEC, Ole Miss. Now, mm-hmm. you know... A few of those I could see. There's others on there that I don't agree with, like maybe ACC Louisville, and then, of course, with the Big 12 TCU. What are your thoughts about that overall sleeper team pick? Yeah, yeah. You know, you know, you said TCU. Do you see TCU being in the playoffs in the next four years, Stephen? No, especially not after Trevor Boykin uh, went on to the NFL. Yeah, I mean, he – he uh, he's a guy that, that that really did a great job of the program. I don't see TCU going there. Uh, I see now. I guess you could say if they were saying since they said sleeper contenders, yes, sure that's understandable. But even then, come on. <laughs> I, I would I would say I would argue that uh, Art Bryles and Baylor would have a better chance than TCU this year. Sure, 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 sure. And they'd be a sleeper pick. They they're not a guaranteed high high up team. Um, you know, then you go to ACC and Louisville. I I, I don't know about playoff. So I have a hard time believing that, uh, but that, that is a very good Louisville team with their quarterback, uh, Lamar Jackson. Yeah, but you also got to think about they also have to contend with Florida State. What do they do this year? Clemson, of course. Mm-hmm. And then the dark horse that I'm picking is uh, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Even though they lost their quarterback, they still have Larry Fedora, and they also still have Gene Chizik running that defense. <laughs> True, and they, they have Elijah Hood at running backs. I mean, they're, yes. not, they're not lost. Uh, Michigan State was the Big Ten pick. Uh, sure, I, you know, why not? Uh, they lose Connor Cook. They always have a ton of seniors on those Michigan State teams, and so they're always able to contend. Um, and then who was who was our Pac-12 team? Utah, which I'm just really surprised by that. I mean, because they lost a lot, too. They did. I'll tell you, I'm going to throw one out here. You might call me crazy. 
I'm going to pick USC. USC has been building, building recruiting classes for years. They have an opportunity this year if they can take down Alabama in the very first game, which is the best best place to be. Uh, they are in a really nice driving spot to be a contender. And also, I mean, over there in the Pac-12, you know, Stanford uh, is going to be very tough, but they lost they lost their quarterback. So who knows? USC might slip up in there. Well. I'm actually, since we're talking about this, I'm going my sleeper team is a team that two years ago I stated he doesn't turn this program around. He's out the door. They had a really good year last year. I believe they won eight games. I'm going sleeper team in the Pac-12 North. I'm going Mike Leach in Washington State. That team is stacked this year. You know, Luke Falk is their quarterback. Uh, there's a guy, you know, in, in Michael Leach's air raid offense, which uh, yes. I think they pass for about 900 yards a game on people. Uh, they, they do a great job. The funny thing is with that team, just like Michael Leach's Texas Tech team, if Washington State can place some defense and slow yes, some people down, absolutely. I mean, you might want to watch out because they, they could really throw the football. Uh, then you go on to the SEC. And the pick was Ole Miss. What's your, what's, who is your sleeper team for the playoff in the SEC? Tennessee, without Tennessee. a doubt. All right, that's interesting. Uh, because Josh Dobbs and a bunch of those other guys are, um, you know, upper echelon seniors and juniors, and I just think it's all going to come together this year. If it doesn't, Butch Jones will be out at Tennessee, or I should say on the hot seat going into next year at Tennessee. Yeah, I, I can see that. I think that would be an interesting thing. Um, you know, I think as far as sleeper picks, uh, I don't think LSU is going to continue. No. I don't think Arkansas, I think they kind of missed the bus on that. Um, Florida's got some good talent around them. I, I think they actually probably hit the nail on the head. I think Ole Miss uh, is, is the sleeper pick in the SEC. I think they have the best opportunity. That if they beat Alabama for a third year in a row, not only will everybody in Tuscaloosa's head and blood boil, um, but it, it's just going to be huge. So Ole Miss has enough talent. They can compete with, I'd say, pretty much anybody in the country. I would also, just thinking about it, throw out possibly South Carolina, just, you know, sleeper team possibly. And then another good one that you could throw out is Texas A&M, especially with Trevor Knight being their quarterback now. Yeah, that's a good point. Texas A&M has so much talent on their team. It's, but they play no defense. They just can't play defense. But they do have – what they do have, though, is a great defensive end yes, in uh, Miles, Miles Garrett. Garrett yep. um, so and a good uh, defensive coordinator, too, in uh, Chavis. Yes, John, John Chavis. John Chavis, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so we'll kind of see how that goes around. Um, and as far as the ACC, did you pick a team? No. Uh, yes, North Carolina. North Carolina. Yeah, that's, that's, very, that, yeah, that's very understandable. Larry Fedora is a pretty good coach. He was able to coach at Southern Miss. If he could lead Southern Miss to a 10-win season – Yes. Yeah, I mean, he can definitely compete at North Carolina. Okay, well, what about your uh, Big Ten team? You know, Big Ten, uh, Iowa is about as soft as a uh, <laughs> as a as a pillow. Um, I, I don't I don't think it's going to be Iowa. O- Ohio State's always in there to compete. Um, so you know, who do you select? I'm going to go with Michigan. I think I- Michigan is is the team. John Harbaugh is a great coach, as you know. Uh, what are your thoughts? I, I completely agree. Now, a lot of people in the South may not like his antics after the uh, 
whole satellite camp thing, and some people were, were calling him the Trump of college football. But at the end of the day, the coach can coach. I mean, he's, you know, two big-time plays away last year from possibly being in a uh, – you know, playoff berth or a, a Big Ten championship up there. Uh, they screwed up the uh, Michigan State game there at the end, which really hurt them on the uh, the punt block soup scoop score. We all remember that. That will go down in history. But uh, yeah, I think Michigan is a really good team, and uh, I think I think it's gonna they're gonna open some eyes here coming up. Yeah, they are. I mean, and their their quarterback has uh, was it Ru- Rudolph Jake Rudolph? Yes. Uh, he he can make some throws. They continue to recruit really well. Uh, Rashawn Gary, the number one overall prospect in the in high school last year, signed with the Wolverines. Uh, it, it's going to be really interesting. I mean, they and I hadn't taken a look at their schedule yet, but if you can clear out Ohio State, if you can beat Ohio State, which is possible this year. Uh, then we can really see what what they can do. All right. Well, on that note, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to continue our college football discussion with our Big 12 correspondent, Pete Mundo. We will introduce you to him and talk Big 12 football. That's on the other side of the break. You're listening to the Stingray and Tuck Show. Hey guys, this is Stingray, host of the Stingray and Tuck Show here to tell you about Oz Music in Tuscaloosa. They have new and used CDs, DVDs, LPs, posters, and quick special orders with a 10% discount. You can contact Oz Music at 758-1222. Once again, that's 758-1222. Oz Music supports your local record store. Oz Music is located in the Portview Shopping Center behind Flowers Bakery in Tuscaloosa. Check them out. Welcome back inside the Stingray and Tug Show. And now we're going to continue with our college football discussion with our Big 12 correspondent, Pete Mundo. And we're about to call him right now. Hey, Pete, how you doing? It's Landon from the Stingray and Tug Show. Hey, Landon, what's up, man? Oh, man, not much. Listen, we really do appreciate you for taking time. You ready to get it going? Oh, Absolutely. Awesome. So, uh, just to let out who I'm talking to, it's uh, Steve and Landon? Y- yes, that's correct. Okay. All right. And uh, real quick, could you possibly introduce yourself to our listeners, please? A- absolutely. Um, name is Pete Mondo, and I'm currently a, a sports anchor for CBS Sports Radio in the New York City, uh, nationally syndicated with uh, 300 stations. Uh, in North America. I used to work in Oklahoma in radio, hosting a show and doing play-by-play out that way in uh, Oklahoma, Kansas, and Texas. And I uh, founded a, a big fall fan site uh, about two years ago called HeartlandCollegeSports.com, uh, and we kind of follow the Big 12 and cover it from an independent um, angle instead of what you get with a lot of the uh, larger media conglomerates. So um, that's what we try to do. All right. Well, Speaking of the Big 12, there's a lot of news right now about the conference expansion. What are you hearing? Well, right now it's, it's kind of in a um, holding pattern. David Bourne, of course, the Oklahoma president, has been in favor of expansion, but kind of took a hit last week when one of his own board members came out and said, well, we don't really know if we want to expand right now. We don't really know if we want a conference network. And that was kind of a blow because it was one of his own people saying that. Of course, that guy then went on the backtrack. So uh, right now, according to uh, people I've spoken to, Texas, and this has been reported as well, 
Texas does not want to expand. They do not want to give up the Longhorn Network. And they are holding TCU and Texas Tech uh, basically by the stone, so to speak. And uh, you need eight out of ten votes to pass any kind of conference expansion. If Texas can get TCU and Texas Tech to not um, expand or to not vote for expansion, then expansion will never happen in the Big 12. All right. And um, another big topic right now is the satellite camps uh, in college football. Overall, what is, since you uh, deal with the Big 12, what are the fans' uh, reaction and thoughts about the satellite camps out there? Well, I think a lot of them wanted it and were for it. Uh, you know, you, you think of a school like Iowa State. You know, Matt Campbell, the new head coach, he is doing a satellite camp, I believe, in conjunction with either Ohio State or Michigan. I'd have to check. But as a result, Matt Campbell is now going to get to interact face-to-face with <coughs> excuse me, all these different um, you know, big-time prospects that are also being recorded, recruited by Big Ten schools, Michigan and uh, Ohio State. And maybe he sees something in a guy that Urban Meyer or Jim Harbaugh doesn't, and he picks up that guy who's only a three-star player. But all of a sudden now uh, you know, Matt Campbell sees something and he's really – the next running back or the next left tackle for the Cyclones. So, really, it was a chance uh, for a lot of these schools that maybe aren't the Oklahoma and Texas of the world to have exposure to some of these big-time players. And uh, it, it's good for the majority of the baseball conference to get these satellite camps back up and going. Pete Mundo, CBS Sports, Inside the Sing Ray and Tuck Show. Um, you know, Pete, this is Landon here. As far as Texas goes, you know, Texas obviously having a historic program, but uh, really over the past four years has been unable to get it going with uh, Matt Brown uh, ultimately uh, stepping down and with Charlie Strong uh, stepping up to the challenge. Um, really the only highlight of last year was Texas beating the powerhouse Oklahoma. Uh, how do you feel like Texas is going to fare this year? I think they're going to be a lot better, Landon. I really think they're going to be much improved, and the biggest reason for that is new quarterback Shane, Shane Bouchel. A true freshman, father plays in major leagues, uh, you know, four-star guy, five-star guy by some estimations, and I think he's going to be the perfect fit for what now is going to be an up-tempo offense. They brought in a new offensive coordinator from Tulsa. He's going to turn that offense around, speed it up, and Bouchelle's the perfect guy to run it. Uh, the defense is back, and you look at, you know, that linebacker, Malik Jefferson, leading the way there. He was a freshman last year, had a huge year. And you just start getting a lot of these great recruits that Charlie Strong brought in this class and last year. This year was much better. I mean, he closed enormously well to get a top 10 class this year. But these guys are going to begin to make strides. They're Charlie Strong's guys. And I really think this team is going to make a jump into that. Right now, I put them at nine wins. Um, and, you know, I think eight will, will be good enough for the fan base to see growth. But I can see him winning nine games this year. You know, along with Texas, would you consider Charlie Strong being on the hot seat as we sit here right now in May? Yes, I think. And I don't think he should be, but I think he is. If he goes out there next year and he wins five, six games, he might lose his job. 
He shouldn't. Once again, he deserves one more. You'd always deserve a full recruiting cycle as a, as a football coach. Yeah, or a basketball coach. You've got to get four years, but especially football, where it's much harder to build a program. You've got to get four years of recruits of your guys to really look back and say, okay, what has this guy done for us? Uh, but the way the Texas campus is, they are so antsy. There's so many big egos and big opinions down there. If Charlie Strong wins five, six games, I don't see how he lasts in the 2017. You know, and, and in his two seasons, he's he's been he was six and seven his first year, obviously losing the Texas Bowl. Uh, this past year, he was five and seven. You know, if if we are in, uh, if we're the Purdue Boilermakers, you know, the head coach is not really under a lot of slack. Since Texas is, uh, you know, the kind of school it is with a prestige as high as it is, do you think that is the only reason Charlie Strong is on the hot seat? Where maybe if he had this record somewhere else, it'd be different. Yeah, I, I think that's. Part of it. There's also a large contingent of Texas people that didn't want Charlie Strong to begin with. If you recall, you know there was rumors that they were going to pay Nick Saban ten million a year to leave Alabama and come to Texas. That was the pipe dream, always the pipe dream. Um, so you look at that, and you know, yes, I totally believe that if he was not just that, we're not talking like Akron State, but even if he was at another Power Five program where he was allowed to build it up a little bit. I think it would be much more understanding. Guy's got a good track record. He's a good head coach. What also hurts Charlie Strong, though, is what Jim Harbaugh did in year number one at Michigan. That was a huge blow where Texas fans are saying, okay, why can't you do that? Obviously, there's a lot of factors there. There's scheduling. Or in the Big Ten, you can avoid a lot of people. Uh, you know, you got to find a quarterback. Jim Harbaugh kind of fell into the transfer. That helped him out a lot. And Jim Harbaugh, I think, is a fantastic coach. But those factors were a big reason why Charlie Strong is not getting a lot of slack right now in Austin. Right, and there are a lot of uh, prognosticators out there saying that TCU could potentially be a sleeper team uh, going forward in the 2016 season. Uh, Pete, who do you have winning the Big 12? Uh, right now, I, I have to go with Oklahoma. Uh, Bring back Baker Mayfield, it's going to be an Eisen contention. Lincoln Riley, I know they have parts to replace uh, Sterling Shepard, a couple guys on defense. Um, but right now, I think it's the Sooners Conference uh, to lose, so to speak. You know, TCU, if Kenny Hill can replace Trevon Boykin at quarterback and do a really good job, uh, and certainly they're a sleeper. They may have the best defense in the conference. Um, Baylor's got some pieces to replace, of course, especially on that wide receiver and on the defensive line. But right now, with what's coming back, Samaje Piran, Baker Mayfield, uh, and a good defense, not great, but a good defense, the Sooners have to be the favorite. Okay. And one final question. How do you see Texas Tech faring this year? Because, you know, they've had issues with defense ever since Cliff Kingsbury has gotten there. I'd love to see Texas put it together. I mean, Cliff Kingsbury is a guy that I, I personally root for. I have no reason to. I don't know him. Um, I've never met him, but I've always just been a fan of his. I, you know, he's a cool guy, hip guy. He's done a good job. He's a hometown guy. Um, I want to see him succeed, but defense is just terrible. Dave uh, Gibbs is, is kind of trying to improve it. Obviously, they're never going to have a great defense just based on the fact that the offense they run you know, they're never going to be a top defensive team from that standpoint. But they can be good. They've got to be better. I mean, every game 
it seems like they're they're allowing 300 plus rushing yards. It's, it's unbelievable. Uh, but I do think it's going to slowly improve. And I think behind Pat Mahomes, uh, the quarterback, who I think is going to be in Heisman contention as well, they're going to win a lot of games, 52 to 49, and um, they're just going to have to live with that. And, and is it going to put them in playoff contention? No. It's going to put them in contention for the top, top of the Big 12. Uh, I would be shocked by that just because that defense is still going to be pretty leaky. But I, I think next year, 2017 is when you start to see that defense really improve, but I do think you're going to see some steps towards that this year for Texas Tech. Pete Mundo, CBS Sports. Uh, Pete, thank you so much for being our uh, Big 12 correspondent and really getting us ready for the season. We hope to talk soon, Pete. Absolutely, guys. We'll do it soon. All right, thank you. All right, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to stop our college football talk just for a little while to get into some NBA action. That and a whole lot more coming up on the other side of the break. You're listening to the Stingray and Tuck Show. This is Stephen M. Smith of Touchdown Alabama Magazine. And when I'm not watching football, look at the newspaper, or drinking some coffee, I'm listening to the Stingray and Tuck Show, only on StingrayandTuckShow.com. Welcome back inside the Stingray and Tuck Show. And now we're going to get into our NBA discussion with our NBA correspondent, Matt Tynan. This is Matt. Hey, Matt. It's Stingray. How you doing tonight? I'm good. How about yourself? I'm doing quite well. First off, last week after the San Antonio loss, uh, I remember I texted you and said what happened, and you were kind of, you know, upset about it and whatnot. Now that you've had a, a, a chance to step back and look at the entire series, what happened to the Spurs down the stretch for them to lose three in a row and lose the series? Uh, well, I mean, I wouldn't say I was upset about it. Uh, I, I think they, they uh, the Thunder figured out a few things. They experimented with a few things early on in the series. Obviously, we remember uh, game one was a blowout, so it's sort of interesting to, to go back and look at how this series panned out. Uh, but there were a couple of different areas where the Thunder were just better. Um, the, the Spurs bench, which had been the best bench in the NBA all season long, was really bad. Uh, the Thunder came up with some different roster combinations, especially or in particular, um, they never took, uh, they never, they always had at least one two-man combination in terms of their front court on the floor. So, they always had either Ibaka and Adams or Adams and Cantor or Cantor and Ibaka on the floor at all times. And the Spurs just could not keep up with their size. The uh, Oklahoma City's size was dominant in this series. And once they made the move to that, uh, to that formation where they weren't going small, they were staying big, uh, they were slowing down the pace, which, you know, it, ironically is, is something the Spurs wanted to do but they didn't have the kind of size off the bench that Oklahoma City did. So it was uh, it, it, it overwhelmed them at times, especially on the glass. Oklahoma City out-rebounded the Spurs like crazy over the last few games, and I think it just 
you know, I think it just wore them down. Uh, the Spurs really, for whatever reason, and I'm not sure, you know, I'm not sure what it was, whether, you know, after game, uh, after game five, Danny Green said in the post-game presser that they could hear, whenever the Spurs came up the floor offensively, they could hear the Oklahoma City Thunder calling out their plays, even from the bench. So uh, he credited their scouting department heavily after that game. So I don't know if it was—I don't know if it came down to the Thunder were just too big, uh, or if the Spurs just really not 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 discrediting Oklahoma City and saying that they were uh, that they didn't do a good job scouting, but that was a mediocre defense all year, uh, and then and then they finally figured it out. So if, if man, if they actually figured out how to play defense, uh, then this next series against the Warriors is going to be a lot of fun because they were really good against the Spurs defensively. Absolutely, and staying with the Spurs just for a quick second here, uh, what is the what does the future hold for San Antonio? And the other part of that question I have is, do you think it's time for Duncan and Ginobili uh, to retire? And if so, do you think it happens in the offseason? Well, uh, I guess to answer that question first, it, it was um, it, it's sort of difficult to tell with those two guys. I've, I've been, we've been on sort of Duncan's Manu uh, retirement watch for years now. I mean, three or four years. So, uh, and we've all guessed wrong yes. <laughs> for the most part. They just, they just keep going. Uh, and they also have player options. So, you know, they can sort of hang back and say, like, you know, maybe the Spurs, and this is sort of the part of the first question, but the Spurs are going to go make, uh, try to make some moves this offseason. They're going to they're gonna pursue big targets. They are going to take advantage of the uh, of the spiking salary cap where they have money to spend. Um, and they and they may have to do some uh, cat, some salary cap gymnastics and sort of get rid of some guys uh, some contracts on the side perhaps to make uh, make room for big money. Uh, but they're going to they're, they're going to go for it. They're, they're not going to stand pat, I'll tell you that. Um, but I think one of the things that, when it comes to Duncan and Manu, uh, if, if the Spurs aren't able to, to make a big hit or, or, or make a big splash in free agency or at least bring uh, a couple of people in that will help their roster, they might hang it up. Uh, but I'm, I'm sort of done. I'm sort of done trying, to, trying to predict when it's going to happen because, uh, like I said, it's, I've, I've felt like it's been close for years, but... This was the first year uh, truly in the regular season and the off season where I looked at Ginobili and Duncan and said they're not, they don't look the same. Uh, even a couple of years ago when the Spurs went out uh, losing to the Heat in the finals in such an awful way, uh, you know, Duncan still looked really good. Manu still, uh, even though he had his terrible moments in that game, he did here in that series, he bounced back and was huge in the following postseason. Um, but those guys are just, I mean, Duncan's 40, Manu's going to be 39 this summer or, or next fall. I can't really remember, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, they're, they're old. I mean, they're old. <laughs> so this is, it's, this is getting to the point in, in an NBA player's career where, where a retirement wouldn't be surprising at all. Um, but 
on the other hand, I wouldn't be surprised if they, if they hung around, waited for the Spurs to make an off-season decision, make some free agency decisions, and then made their choice from there. Yeah, Matt, and going over to the East, you know, LeBron and the Cavaliers have swept two opponents back-to-back. You know, we were sitting here two weeks ago talking about Atlanta and, and talking about the Cavs, and, you know, the, the, I asked you if the Hawks have any sort of shot, and you said, you know, definitely, they have a shot. No one expected them to lose the way they did. Um, well, maybe a few people <laughs> might have predicted that. But um, now that the Raptors have gone back-to-back seven-game series, uh, right, now they go in and they, they play this Cavalier team uh, that's, that has swept back-to-back series. Do the Raptors have any shot at, at competing in this series? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's one of the things we talked about when we talked about the Hawks was, you know, if they, if they caught fire, if they really got a, a rhythm offensively, if they figured out a way to, to uh, increase their rebounding percentage, maybe they had a shot to win a couple of games. But, man, the Cavaliers are playing at a higher level than they have all season long. Uh, but you could also potentially uh, say the same thing about the Raptors. When the, when the Raptors, when DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry go off the way they have the last couple of games, when that backcourt really produces, they're, they're very difficult to beat. Having said that, um, you know, every single team in the NBA has a shot because you never know what could happen over the course of the series. Oh, look at the Portland Clippers series. Uh, so anytime you get to this point of the season, any team has a shot. But if Cleveland is right, if they stay healthy, and even if they lose a couple of guys, it, it might not even matter. Um, I think you can pencil the Cavaliers into the finals. I wouldn't have said that uh, at, the, at the beginning of the finals because, again, you never – or I'm sorry, at the beginning of the playoffs. But you never know what can happen. Uh, but at this point, as we stand, you know, no more than seven games away, I think that uh, I, I don't think the Raptors really have a legitimate chance again unless someone gets hurt on the cap. But um, hopefully it's fun. I mean, this is, this is a one-two matchup. The Raptors, the Raptors aren't chumps. They can play. Uh, they're going to be without uh, Jonas Valanciunas for – at least the first game, it sounds like maybe the second game, and that's going to be a major detriment to them because Cleveland is huge. They have a, they just have a lot of big bodies they can throw out there. And as good as good as Bismack Biombo has been uh, in the absence of Valanciunas, they're going to miss they're going to miss that that depth uh, against a team like Cleveland. So um, I, I want this to be competitive. I, I like watching Toronto. They they are. Scrappy, uh, their backcourt when they're on is very fun. Uh, but man, I, I I wouldn't put any money on Toronto winning this series. I'll tell you that. Right, and going back to the West just for a little bit. Um, regardless of what happened in the series game one last night, how do you th- how do you see the Thunder and Warriors series playing out? Do the Warriors make it back again? to the NBA Finals? I, I think they do. Uh, I think it'll be a long series. Uh, again, regardless of what you of, of what happened uh, Monday night in the series, it, it's going to be a long series in my opinion. Uh, Oklahoma City is playing better than it has all season long. Uh, the way they played against San Antonio, 
the way they picked up their level of defense, the way their front court is playing. But I think that's going to be sort of the big story in this series. Can Oklahoma City play to its strength? Because its strength is staying big. Its strength is rebounding. Uh, the interesting thing is that the Warriors' weakness is rebounding. But they have those small ball lineups. So, so you can sort of explain away why they don't rebound all that well just in general because they, even though they have really good rebounders and guys like Beth Zeely and Andrew Bogut, uh, and, and really their, their, their roster as a whole, they like to go small a lot. So it's, I think the most interesting storyline of this series is going to be can, uh, can Oklahoma City maintain their strength? Can they stay big? Can they do? Can they force uh, the Golden State Warriors to get out of their small ball lineups? And I'm I'm not sure they're going to be able to because no one has been able to. Uh, quite literally, that that death lineup, that small ball lineup uh, that the that the Warriors run out there has has beaten up on everybody that it's faced. So uh, I'm I'm not sure that changes now, but I think this is going to be a great test. And I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I think there would have been a large portion of the uh, uh, of the viewing audience that wouldn't would not have enjoyed Spurs Warriors because uh, I think the Spurs would have tried to drag the Warriors down in the mud and make it a really slow paced game because that's how you have to beat them. That is that is sort of the blueprint in beating the Warriors. You you slow the game down. You play defense. You uh, don't give them or give them fewer shots, or as, as few shots as you can. So, uh, But at the same time, this is going to be more entertaining. This is going to be a matchup of point guards that would, is unlike anything else in the NBA. Uh, Russell Westbrook is not going to be afraid to go right back to Steph Curry. Uh, that team is playing really well right now. Steven Adams and his Cantor were unbelievable against the Spurs as a, as a duo. So it's going to be interesting to see how... Uh, after after a really I felt well coached uh, uh, semifinals Western Conference semifinals appearance, I thought Billy Donovan really held his own against Popovich, and a lot of people think he probably outcoached him. So it's going to be interesting to see what kind of adjustments he makes in this situation, and whether the adjustments he made against the Spurs will be enough to, to uh, or at least something similar to deal with the with the Warriors, because it might not be. The Spurs want to be big. The Warriors want to go small. So it's going to be an interesting adjustment to see going forward. Yeah, I think that's going to be a really great series. Uh, I, I would, I hope for seven games along with everybody else. Um, it, it should be really fun. Now, you know, Steph, Steph Curry was named uh, MVP of the league, obviously back-to-back years. Um, you know, with recent people in the media kind of calling out – uh, if an MVP deserves to be someone who is, is it really the most valuable player to a team or is it, uh, you know, it maybe it's, it's who had the best season. Do you think Steph Curry deserved to win the MVP this year? Oh my God. Uh, 100%. Uh, like I'm, I'm ecstatic that he got the unanimous decision. Uh, considering what they did and considering Considering the, the things he did on the court, uh, I, I don't think it's even a question. I think that he absolutely deserves to be the MVP. I think he deserves to be the unanimous uh, unanimous MVP. I I know this this becomes sort of a discussion every year. 
um, I fully expected that there would be a couple of voters who voted for someone else just to either make a point or, you know, I don't even know. But there's no question who the most valuable player in the NBA was this season. Uh, and and I think I think the, the 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 big issue comes in when people try to try to I don't know, try to figure out the meaning of most of most valuable player, but I think it's all semantics. Like, is it most valuable player? Is it best player? Um, I think people have a, a weird time uh, trying to solve that in their brain. That, this guy was unstoppable all season long. His team broke the single season wins record. I just, I don't understand how how there is another viewpoint that this guy wasn't the most valuable player in the league. And I, and I know we've seen, over the, especially over the last couple of weeks in the playoffs, that the Warriors have played well without Stephen Curry. Uh, but they also played against a, a really just awful Rockets team uh, and a Blazers team that's incredibly young uh, and shouldn't have probably shouldn't have been in the second round in the first place. Uh, so we're not going to get to see anything like this you know, Stephen Curryless Warriors against uh, against the Thunder, and I hope we don't. I hope he stays healthy because uh, I want this to be a fully healthy series. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, but yeah, man, he he absolutely deserved the the MVP. He deserved to be the unanimous MVP. Um, and I don't think there's I don't think there are many words to be parsed about it this season. Frankly, I think it was pretty automatic and obvious. Well, thank you, Matt, uh, for coming on today. And uh, we really enjoyed it. And uh, enjoy your basketball over this next week, and we'll talk next week, man. It'll be fun. I enjoyed it, you guys. All right, thank you. See you, Matt. All right, well, on that note, we're going to take a very short break, and when we come back, we're going to continue our discussion about the NBA playoffs, and then we're going to go back to college football and play a very interesting game. So make sure you stick around on the other side of the break. You're listening to the Stingray and Tuck Show. Hey guys, this is Stingray, host of the Stingray and Tuck Show. Are you tired of Facebook groups with members that constantly attack you about sports? Leave them and come join us at Sports Talk 365, where there will be no attacking There will be no trolling. There will be no post about racism, politics, or even religion. Just straight sports talk. So if you're interested, come on and join us. You must be 18 or older to join. Welcome back inside the Stingray and Tuck Show. And now we are going to continue our discussion with the NBA playoffs. And we're going to start over in the Eastern Conference uh, finals with the Cavaliers and Raptors, and uh, like we've been saying many times before, uh, Valachunas is out for the uh, Raptors, and his replacement is Biombo. And the 23-year-old against Miami in Game Seven had 17 points and 16 rebounds and two monster dunks down the stretch in order for the Raptors to eliminate the Heat uh, in the last series. And here is what LeBron James had to say about playing with Valachunas and also Biombo for the Raptors. Oh, well, I mean, obviously both of them is, is key to their success throughout the season. Um, it gives them a different um, 
a different threat. Uh, they're able to throw lobs to him. He's able to finish over top. Um, you know, he plays with a lot more speed. Uh, so they have a, you know, when Valanciunas is in, obviously they're very good, but they play a little bit more methodical game. Um, they're able to get out into the open floor a little bit more with Biombo out there. So it gives them great balance when both of them are in there. And obviously with Biombo being in there since Valanciunas got hurt, um, it's giving them a, a different threat. Now, just like the game plan for the uh, Pistons and, of course, the Hawks, they're going to try and take away the paint for the uh, Cleveland Cavaliers in this series. And here's what LeBron James had to say about teams trying to take away the painted area for the Cavaliers when they face the Raptors in Game 1 tonight. Um, well, they have great size at the, at the forward position and at the guard position. And, and also, Biombo does a great job protecting the paint. Um, we have counters for whatever a team tries to take away from us. And um, they're a very good defensive team. It's the top four defensive teams uh, left now. Um, and obviously, Miami was very good defensively as well. But um, we're ready for whatever. I mean, it's not a defense that we haven't seen to this point. You know, if you limit our, limit our paint, uh, we have guys that can spread the floor. And once our guys get going on the perimeter, then it opens up the paint. Uh, so uh, we're ready for whatever. And speaking of the three-point shooting in the Atlanta series that the Cavaliers just swept, they made 77 three-pointers, and in one game, game two, they made 25. So it is crucial that the Raptors cool down, or at least try to cool down, the hot three-point shooting of the Cavaliers to have any shot to continue or even compete in this series with Cleveland. And always, we want to thank Cavs.com for allowing us to pull the LeBron James audio for you guys here on the Stingray and Tuck Show. And now let's go over to the Western Conference Finals as uh, last night as a shocker, a shocker, the Warriors actually lost at home for the first time this season after being up double digits at halftime. What is going on with the Thunder right now? They are just surprising everybody on their way to potentially the finals of the NBA as they take game one last night in Oakland, 108-102. And down the stretch... Of that game, the Warriors just looked completely out of sync. Here's what Steph Curry had to say after the game about them being kind of all out of sorts last night. Uh, we got we got rushed a little bit, tried to go for the home run plays. You know, sometimes it works when you get a feel like it, you know, it's not clicking. You're not getting you know the shots that you want. You're kind of forcing it. We need to have more composure to be able to slow it down and work you know those possessions. Because defensively, we were getting enough stops and rebounds um, that we had opportunity. We just uh, got out of character a little bit. But um, something we'll, we'll learn from going forward. And another big story in that game was the turnovers uh, down the stretch for the Warriors as they had a total of 14 turnovers. And that led to 20, or I should say 17 points off turnovers for the Oklahoma City Thunder. Here is what Steph Curry had to say about the turnovers late in game one. Um, a couple of them were just kind of bad timing on uh, certain reads, especially the pick and roll. 
couple of dry passes, but um, when you compound turnovers that may or may not happen with bad possessions and quick shots and um, and rushed possessions, then it, it makes it seem a lot worse. So, you know, we got to play aggressive. We take some chances every once in a while, but obviously we want to cut down only 14, but most of them in the second half. Uh, down the stretch, we want to cut down on some of those, but you know, when we when we have better possessions um, down the stretch of the, of the game, especially in the fourth quarter, when you know we're extracting distance of gaining momentum, taking the lead, you got to take advantage of those opportunities, and we didn't do that tonight. Now let's go inside the statistics for the Warriors just for a second. Draymond Green had 23 points. Uh, Harrison Barnes had 12 points. Steph Curry had 26 points, but was woeful from the field, only 9 of 22 shooting, and that is one of the reasons why I feel that the Warriors are down 0-1 in this series. Oh, and Clay Thompson had a woeful shooting night, also 11 of 25 for 25 points. And looking at the team stats, uh, the field goal percentage were the Thunder 43%, the Warriors 44%, but here is a big discrepancy and I think really what kind of skewed the game a little bit. The three-point percentage, 47% for the Thunder, 36.7 for the Warriors. And now after game one, now you have game two tomorrow night. Here is how Steph Curry feels that they can regain their confidence going into Game two. Just uh, watch some good film tomorrow, figure out what exactly went wrong down the stretch, um, things we can do better. You know, it's a long series. Um, obviously, it's not a good feeling losing, you know, game one, especially at home. And it'll be a different situation for us to, to try to bounce back. Um, you know, at this point in the series, having a, a deficit, so. I think it's fun you know, to be able to have this opportunity to come back and, and show what we're made of, show our resiliency. And you know, it's going to be a long series, so we got to be, be ready on, uh, on Wednesday. And, of course, we want to thank Warriors.com for allowing us to pull the audio for you guys from Steph Curry uh, for the Stingray and Tuck show. But, Curry, be careful what you wish for because it may not be fun tomorrow night when the Thunder take you on in game two because the Thunder are playing lights out as of late but early in the game they were kind of sluggish and turned it on in the second half yesterday here is what Kevin Durant had to say about why or how he thought the Thunder turned it on and what was different in the second half uh, uh well we scored 38 points in that third you know Russell was catalyst getting to the rim finishing you know we just followed that lead, and we just played hard on the defensive end. You know, we withstood a couple of leads they had, just kept playing through it, and uh, was able to get some stops in the fourth. I mean, you, you hear it all the time, defense wins. You know, when we get stops, if we don't score, we try not to let the other team score. So, who can, I mean, we miss shots. That's, you know, that's going to happen. That's a part of being who we are as leaders of this team. We miss shots. Uh, but we just stayed with it on the defensive end, you know, and I think when we got the shots late in the game, we was able to, you know, focus in and knock them down. Now, this series has become very physical because Westbrook took a hard hit to the face by Bogut for a foul ruled as a flagrant one after review in the uh, first quarter. And here is what Westbrook had to say about the, the injury and the hit and the flagrant foul 
in game one last night. Uh, yeah, man, um, you know, like I said before, uh, plays like that's going to happen where you get tangled up, may get hit, um, but you just got to find a way to get back up and ask for second half, third quarter. Uh, just try to stay aggressive. Um, and find ways to impact the game. Uh, you know, for me, my job is not just to score the basketball. Um, my job is to get guys open, defend, rebound, whatever it is that's needed at the time to help us win games. And once again, I want to thank Thunders.com for allowing us to pull this audio for you guys for the Stingray and Tuck show. And now we are going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to talk some more college football and play a fun little game. That and a whole lot more coming up on the other side of the break. You're listening to the Stingray and Tuck show. Hey, MSU fans and alumni, this is Landon Tucker from the Stingray and Tuck show. Look, Cowbell Clothing has awesome cowbell embroidered polos and t-shirts. They also have caps and unique cowbell logo items such as belts, bags. They even have pet accessories. All you have to do is go to cowbellclothing.com and get yours today. Welcome back inside the Stingray and Tuck Show. I'm your co-host, Landon Tucker. And we are about to get into a really special segment of a game called What's More Likely with our very own Stephen Stingray. Yes, that's going to be awesome. Alrighty, are you ready? I sure am. Okay, here we go. So on the first round of that, what's more likely? Stephen, what is more likely? Steph Curry winning two MV, or pardon me, winning two NBA titles in a row, or Alabama winning two national titles in a row? You know, Bud, I'm actually going with. Alabama winning two national championships in a row just simply because in football you have more players so if somebody gets injured you know next man up in basketball you literally have what 15 or so and then you're pretty much done okay all right round one now round two of what's more likely Stephen what's more likely Kevin Durant leaving the Oklahoma City Thunder in free agency or Derrick Henry reaching a Pro Bowl within three years? Probably Kevin Durant leaving the Thunder because, let's be honest, um, with Derrick Henry's footwork, who knows where that's going to go. And um, we just don't know. I mean, the Warriors pretty much are the king of the Western Conference Finals, so I'm going to have to go with Kevin Durant. All right. Um, well, now, what do you think? Uh, personally, I'm going to say Kevin Durant leaving the Thunder because I just don't, I don't – there's not a shot. Of, well, Derek Henry could make it, but I, I think the Thunder are much more likely uh, to have Kevin Durant leave them. All right, round three of what's more likely. Stephen, what's more likely? Steph Curry repeating MVP for a third straight time or LeBron James leaving the, leaving the Cleveland Cavaliers? I I think it's going to be LeBron leaving the Cavaliers. I think he's going to get frustrated again if he doesn't win the championship with them two years in a row, and who knows where he might end up. But I think think you're going to see a repeat of when he went down to Miami uh, if they don't win the championship again this year because, I mean, they've got all the cards in place. You know, why why can't they do it in Cleveland? Absolutely. (laughs) Round four of what's more likely. Steven, what's more likely? Ole Miss winning an SEC championship in 2016 or Jeffrey Simmons playing for Mississippi State in 2016? Oh, man, that's wow. Um, I'm going to say 
Jeffrey Simmons playing because, no offense, but if you look at Ole Miss historically, they always seem to find a way to lose a game they shouldn't. Blow a game like on the road with uh, Bo, Bo Wallace a couple years ago, uh, the, Miss, the year that Mississippi State went to number one. Uh, Ole Miss goes on the road. They pretty much dominate LSU the entire game down there at Tiger Stadium, and then Bo Wallace throws an interception. They lose. Then again, like you said, last year, lost to Florida, lost to Memphis, lost to Arkansas. So they always seem to just find a way to lose one game to screw it up. I mean, you can pretty much call uh, Ole Miss the Oklahoma of the SEC without the SEC title because, you know, Oklahoma also has that problem too because just like last year, they were on a roll. They steamrolled everybody except one team. Texas, a team they should not have lost to. Never, ever. No, that is true. Alrighty, round five. Um, Steven, what's more likely, Ole Miss getting punished by the NCAA or Mississippi State having a player win the Heisman Trophy in the next four years? Probably Ole Miss getting punished. Why so? Because Dak left. <laughs> and, I mean, you, you look at the roster, there's no really slam dunk players. I mean, they're all great players, don't get me wrong, but there's not really a, a Dak Prescott on the uh, right now that I see on the roster or a Dak Prescott-type player. And we'll just have to see, you know, as the seasons progress and whatnot. But right now, I'm going to say Ole Miss getting punished. Yeah, yeah, I think that that – and obviously that's probably going to happen. You know, it'd be real real fun is to take the entire list of the SEC and pick one player from each team that is their best player who could win yes. uh, win a Heisman Trophy. That'd be very interesting. Interesting yes. whenever you got to teams like Auburn or uh, teams like Vanderbilt or really teams like Mississippi State. Kentucky. Kentucky, yeah. Like if you were to pick their very best player uh, and just see, you know, how they line up. Uh, I, honestly, I'll tell you right now, I think one of the – uh, closest guys, in my opinion, to win the Heisman at Mississippi State, uh, going off what he did last year into uh, this year would be uh, none other than Fred Ross. Yeah, Fred Ross would be the guy. The only problem with it is, is that he has got he's got he has a quarterback to yes. throw it to him, and for a wide receiver to win the Heisman Trophy, he's got to get the ball <laughs> very often. He's going to have to return a lot of kicks. Uh, punt, so you know, very unlikely. But if there was a player, he would probably be. It. But you never know. Nick Fitzgerald, uh, you know, Elijah Staley, or you know, any of those. Uh, Nick Tiano, any of those guys uh, could be breakout stars and be the next Dak, or or even better than Dak. We just don't know right now since they're so young. Sure, I mean, and if you go back four years ago, uh, yeah, four, three, four years ago. You would never have said, oh, this Dak guy is going to be great in his junior year. Um, I, he was going to be good, but, I mean, you, you would never say the best of all time I, in Mississippi State. I never even saw him playing right. uh, and because whenever he was signed on as a two-star quarterback, uh, he was buried on the jet tarp behind, obviously, first uh, Chris Relf was there. And Tyler, Tyler Russell, Russell and, yeah. Uh, Dak. I remember seeing Dak at a game in at UAP uh, in Birmingham, and I remember seeing him. He's, he's a, he was a true. He was a redshirt freshman that year. Yep. And uh, he was he was on the sidelines warming up. I remember I knew him just because watching looking at recruiting uh, sites and that sort of thing. So I knew who he was. 
and he was right there in front of me. Just didn't think anything about it because he, I didn't think he would. I don't know, you know, I was, I was younger then, but I just didn't think he would play in any sort of sense. And, you know, that's what makes college football great is, you know, you're like, Nah, this player may not be that good, and all of a sudden they're next. They're the next breakout star, you know, the rock star of college football, and that's what makes college football so exciting. Whereas the NFL, you know, you're getting paid, so you're pretty much going to have to be a slam dunk guy. Uh, in college, you can go, well, this guy was only a two-star recruit, then he came out to be, yeah, know, yeah, the best ever. Just by just by developing, yeah. Yep. And let's not forget, even during that time when Dak got there, Cord there was a quarterback by the name of Cord Sandberg, he's a four-star quarterback, who signed with Mississippi State and then decided he was going to uh, complete his baseball career. He was drafted uh, and I believe plays for the Nationals organization as a pitcher. So, like there was there was a lot of different things going against Dak to even see the field. Uh, so really, no one just would have guessed that. Uh, it, it was it was really surprising when he did break out. Do you have uh, yeah. another round? I do not. However, now that we're kind of talking about quarterbacks, uh, we can kind of go into the discussion. We talk about Dak, about who is the best quarterback in SEC history. I'll let you start. All right. On on my point, uh, and, and yeah, Steve and I kind of talked about this. To decide who is the best quarterback of all time in the SEC, I think you have to look at their entire career, um, start to finish, their, their entire career, maybe not just a breakout season. Um, and obviously not not on their career in high school, not their career in the NFL, just their entire career in college. When you look at that, Peyton Manning was outstanding, won a national title. Eli Manning uh, – had some great statistics, uh, great great teams there at Ole Miss. I never think, did win anything. No, no never did, never did win anything when he was there. Uh, came close that year when they played uh, LSU in Oxford and came so close, and then LSU beat them in the end. And yeah. I was just like, golly, man. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you're ever going to get that close, you ought, to, you ought to go ahead and try at least, <laughs> you know. Absolutely. Um, and, then, and then you go with, uh, say, Dak Prescott. Uh, you know, Dak Prescott did not start until his junior year, so uh, you know he didn't get to play as long as, say, a Tim Tebow did. Uh, but he still had a great career. So if you look at the entire career, and then Johnny Manziel, don't leave him yeah, out. Of course, you could ever forget Johnny Football. Yeah. If you look at someone throughout an entire career, I think Tim Tebow is probably uh, one of the easier easier picks, um, just because his entire career body of work. If you had to decide who was better in a season, I, I, I'm Cam Newton all day, all day long. What about you, Steven? I got to go with, like the guy you just said, Tim Tebow, without a doubt, because he did it for, let, let's, let's be honest, four years, because the first year he was the short back uh, on fourth down plays under Urban Meyer. So uh, he played four years at Florida, and he was a beast, and he did it the right way. You know, with and you know, praising God for everything and His religion and all that, and a lot of people want to ridicule him for that. Yeah, no, he was obviously he's a really, really great example of really what what we need to be more like and a great role model too. Yeah, absolutely. And so it's a shame it didn't work out in the NFL long term, um, but uh, he he definitely had an outstanding college career. Now he's number one, but I think this is where the debate comes: who's number two? Oh, I have no idea. I'm going to go out and say this. Whether it be more than one season or not, I think Cam Newton is number two on this list. The 
the impact that Cam Newton had on an Auburn team who the year before I think went eight and five uh, and really was a team that wouldn't pick to do much. Uh, whether now, no matter how Cam Newton got to Auburn, somehow he got there. Uh, he was recruited and got and got there at Auburn, uh, and just was insanely talented, uh, and and made a huge impact to that team. I think he's number two. Johnny Manziel was so fun. He was so fun, but they didn't, he didn't lead them to any titles at all. Right. Well, the reason that Cam Newton is not number one for me uh, is just simply because if you look at the statistics of the defense that Cam Newton had to play against in the SEC in 2010, uh, LSU is nowhere to be found in the top ten. Uh, Alabama is number seven, but they gave up an average of 350 yards per game that year. Imagine that for Alabama. So, you know, I, I don't know. I just don't think he would have been as good a player, let's say, if they would have, he'd have had to face the Alabama defense of last year. Yeah, you know, but here's one thing I would argue that's different about that, is that he, the statistics as a team don't lie. The, end, the performances he proved versus the individual talent was amazing. You look at uh, when he ran past Fletcher Cox from Mississippi State, Jonathan Banks from Mississippi State, uh, for LSU, Patrick Peterson, um, you know, and then you go to Alabama, you have all the Courtney Upshaw, Dante Hightower, all these guys, uh, really, let's just be real, like <laughs> probably 10 NFL players on that defense. Um, and, and the things he did versus uh, all those teams that had so many great NFL players, I think just showed so much. He did great. And, and, and Johnny Football uh, will always be up there. Um, obviously, they didn't win any titles. He was great. Um, and it might just be because I watched Mississippi State season so closely, but I think Dak Prescott lies somewhere between uh, somewhere between three and four as far as, as a total career goes. Right. Where would you put Chris Lake on that list? Because he did win a title at Florida uh, as the starter above Tebow. Yeah, you know, I, I think he – Chris Lake's obviously had, had a wonderful career uh, at Florida whenever he played. Um, I, I think that if you look at uh, the, the entire career, though, he's going to be somewhere around that six, five to six range. Um, I definitely do not think he is a uh, he is a number one player of all time by any means. You know, uh, you look at um, he, he won he won a few trophies whenever he was in college. Nothing major. Uh, I, I think he is just going to be somewhere somewhere around five or six. What about you? I completely agree, and another one that you could possibly throw out there as a big-time excitement quarterback is uh, Ryan Mallett up at Arkansas. He had an unbelievable career up there. Yeah, you know, he, did, he didn't have a lot of talent around him. I think that's probably what uh, – you know, he's an exciting quarterback. He's a very, very large human being. Uh, he just was not very uh, elite. And uh, let's also uh, give our hats off, of course, to any of the Alabama quarterbacks that were supposed to be – game managers, I hate that term, uh, for, a college, for a college quarterback because you're not just managing the game, you're winning games, okay? Let's, let's talk about, you know, A.J. McCarron, Greg McElroy, and, of course, here most recently, Jake Coker. So you also got to add those to the list, especially if you're talking about national championship-wise. Yeah, you know, I have a, the only thing I have with him, I think out of all three of those guys you just mentioned, A.J. has the best resume of them yes. all. Yes. Um, but I think it, it proved just like with Jake Hooker this year. Um, I don't think you have to be an elite, elite quarterback to win a national title at Alabama. I, I just don't. 
like if you look at it, Blake Sims, who is not even playing football at the moment, um, as far as I know, I don't think he's with the Jaguars anymore, um, is a guy that was one game away from the national championship at Alabama, uh, and he played run- he played running back two years before that. So yes. I don't think you have to be uh, necessarily an elite passer. Obviously, I can't go out there and chuck it and they win, but. Uh, I don't think you have to be an absolute dynamite starter to win at Alabama. So that, that's kind of where it goes, just because they have so much talent around them. Yes. All right, let me ask you this. Let's, let's, let's go from best to worst. Go. Worst. Off, off, off the top of your head. Worst starting quarterback of all yes. time in the SEC? Uh, worst starting quarterback all time in the SEC. I am going to go at uh, – this is tough. This is really tough. Um, you, you want me to tell you, you and go, then you go uh, first. You think about it. <laughs> Without a doubt, the thorn in Steve Spurrier's side, Stephen Garcia. Hate to say it, but the, that guy, the best game he ever had was when they defeated number one Alabama. <laughs> that was it. I mean, what else did that guy do up there? I mean, it seemed like every time you turned around, he was off the team. And I believe <laughs> Steve Spurrier kicked him off the team and let him back on four separate times. He has got to be one of the guys that is one of the worst quarterbacks to ever take the field in the SEC. No offense. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's, that's a good point. I, I think uh, you could also make a case for Matty Mock uh, is a guy who couldn't stay on the team and also – I mean, but the funny thing was he was not a he was not a bad back court. He went not was not terrible. Yeah, made some bad decisions on the field and off though. Absolutely, and uh, all right. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the Stingray and Tuck Show. We hope you've enjoyed it. Next week, we are going to continue our NBA action. As you know, the NBA Finals are inching closer and closer as we try to get down to two teams. Plus, we are also going to talk possibly more college football with our uh, correspondents as they come. So. Absolutely. Make sure you check out stingrayandtuckshow.com for all the latest articles in sports. Make sure you check out our Twitter, at stingraytuck, and our Facebook page, Stingray and Tuck Show. And we also have like daily and weekly polls on the Twitter account, and uh, like he said, at Stingray Tuck, so make sure you go over and vote on those, and then of course, also, well, give us some feedback, let us know what we can do, and uh, what we're doing good, what we're doing wrong, and just kind of talk back at us, you know, we really want uh, constructive criticism and, and praise, because you know, that's what we need uh, when we're starting out in this. Absolutely, thank you guys so much for listening. And uh, we'll, we'll see you next time.